Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to be talking a little bit uh, about Sino-Soviet relationships in the mid-1950s to uh, early 1960s and the Sino-Soviet split. Um, But I'm going to be talking about it from the perspective of East Germany of all places. Um, The reason I'm going to be doing this is I've unearthed a superb um, article recently on this very subject and uh, the relationship between the East German government and China uh, is very revealing um, on a whole number of levels. Okay, so firstly, the the scholarship comes from Quinn Slobodian, um, who writes in the Journal of Contemporary History, uh, that was this year, and he's got some fascinating insights to to make, um, and it's um, a really superbly researched piece of work. So uh, in the um, period from the Chinese Revolution through to the early 1950s, there was um, a an interesting relationship between East Germany and China, Um, They inhabit the communist world, but really they are quite far apart in their approaches to um, communism. The uh, state of East Germany is created in 1949, uh, as is communist China, uh, created in the same year. And there is a a kind of a a certain degree of uh, fraternity between the the two nations, uh, both um, mindful that they have come into existence at about the same time. And this is a real high point for for Stalinism uh, in general. And it's at a a point where um, much of the Western world, um, America and her European allies, feel quite embattled and, and imperiled. Um, and this is also just on the uh, the eve of the the Korean War, but very quickly uh, in the early in the early nineteen fifties onwards, uh, fractures begin to emerge in the relationship between Moscow and Beijing. The first thing uh, that occurs is that Beijing is angered by Moscow's 
relatively diffident and sort of slightly um, unenthusiastic response um, to the outbreak of the Korean War. It would appear that in uh, the early 1950s, Stalin is already moving, long before the likes of Khrushchev do, already moving towards uh, a more... um, slightly more accommodationist and less confrontational stance um, with the Western world. And the Chinese are uh, particularly displeased with this notion. When Stalin dies and uh, Khrushchev comes to power, it is, um, as I've mentioned before, when I've talked about the the secret speech and Mao's Hundred Flowers campaigns, these are podcasts going back away, um, there's explosion of anger from Beijing when Stalin is denounced by Khrushchev, because the implication is that Stalin's most eager pupil, Mao Zedong, uh, is also tied with the same brush. There's a sense in Beijing that Moscow has kind of retreated from a um, confrontation with capitalism, and that um, this new spirit of accommodation and peaceful coexistence um, and a decision to focus instead of um, uh, furthering revolution and conflict and um, really um, militarism, uh, communist militarism, on developing living standards uh, within the Soviet bloc. This is, um, in Mao's eyes, a total abrogation of socialism, and as far as Mao is concerned, Communism is um, about confrontation. It's about confronting capitalism wherever it's, uh, it can be confronted. And this is to be done in the third world. This is to be done um, in um, colonial struggles. And the this is where Mao really comes to believe that the peasantry of the third world are the uh, anti-capitalist, the communist vanguard. Communist countries like East Germany exist based on um, the core tenets of communist ideology. Uh, The state retains the right to um, interpret Marx and to present um, the the version of Marxist-Leninism that it believes to be uh, valid. And therefore, schisms within the communist world are a grave threat to countries like East Germany, uh, a grave threat to their, their sense of, of self. One of the problems that East Germany faces um, by the 1960s is that Maoism has become, amongst some of the workers, some of the intelligentsia, some of the student bodies, quite a popular idea. Um, the uh, East Germany of Walter Ulbricht uh, is for a whole range of reasons. It's uh, repressiveness, the violence and bloodshed of the 1953 crackdown um, against strikers and the um, some of the, the graft and venality of officials um, is extremely unpopular in certain quarters, those aforementioned, the various uh, aspects of the intelligentsia, 
and um, there is a kind of a uh, a growing popularity for um, Maoism it's, as it is seen uh, by particularly on the left of the German Communist Party as a more authentic telling of, of uh, the communist story a more um, uh, authentic interpretation of communism a lot of these guys are the real old guard of the communist party they joined the KPD the German Communist Party in the 1920s during the period of uh, kind of feuding uh, and division between the Communist Party and the Social Democrats, who were referred to by Stalin as social fascists, um, until Stalin, um, when by the time Stalin had hoped to build a united, um, uh, a popular front between social democracy. And communism is way too late, and both forces have been wiped out by uh, Hitler after the Reichstag fire in 1933. So the um, the old guard of the German Communist Party were far more inclined to embrace embrace what they believed to be a kind of a more purist version, a more purist interpretation of communism. Um, and the um, they they do so with with gusto um, when um, um, Mao um, becomes a, this kind of extremely attractive popular figure, and it's interesting that by the late nineteen sixties, um, Maoism amongst the students in West Germany is also extremely popular, um, as Soviet communism. Um, particularly in Western Europe, becomes less and less attractive to the kind of the left fellow travellers. So Maoism suddenly becomes a much more um, agreeable notion. Uh, this, of course, rather kind of uh, presupposes that nobody really knew about Mao's famine of the late 50s and the early 60s, which I'm sure a great many people urge. So it's for these reasons that the East German government took the um, Chinese challenge to their monopoly on the sole interpretation of the nature of communism as such um, an existential threat. It's particularly interesting that the um, first real um, point of departure between the two regimes comes in 1960, um, when um, the Chinese government um, speaks out, a Chinese representative speaks out in the East German press, um, extolling the virtues of communes, the um, Chinese government had instituted mass agricultural communes um, in China, which is part of the reason that there was an apocalyptic famine. Um, and the Germans had, um, the East Germans had looked with particular dread and disgust um, at the example of Soviet collectivization of agriculture. And the um, Chinese example had been disastrous, more disastrous than the Soviet um, example by a factor of about 10 in terms of, of deaths. Five to seven million people in the uh, Ukrainian famine. Uh, the uh, Chinese, um, Chinese famines are anything between 45 and perhaps 
70 or 80 million the year. Uh, if you read Frank Dakota's book, Mao's Great Famine, um, the, 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 the statistics look at it probably about 55 million and you know, could potentially go much, much higher. Uh, statistics on famines are notoriously uh, volatile things. So the Chinese were asked really not to mention. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, communes uh, at all and um, the uh, references to them in the uh, East German press are removed Um and the uh, nervous German, uh, East German agricultural um, community uh, were told that it would not be collectivised. And that, again, gives us a clue, doesn't it, about the kind of the limits of totalitarianism in East Germany, the things that the state, the calculations that the state makes about what they can and cannot get away with. And it's entirely possible that in East Germany it was just understood really that um, collectivization was, uh, was an epic mistake. Um, Walter Ulbricht, who had been a, um, a Comintern agent um, and had represented Stalin uh, during the Spanish Civil Wars, part of the German International Brigades, a widely loathed figure um, who had... Um, contributed really to many of the deaths of his comrades and seemingly uh, managed to um, emerge uh, quite uh, quite successfully at the end of the Second World War uh, and it's established himself um, by 1949. Walter Ulbricht um, obviously decides to side with Stalin, side with the Soviet Union, actually this is long after Stalin's death, I beg your pardon, side with the Soviet Union 
um, against China. Uh, but he does so really without being uh, lent upon by Moscow particularly. He um, is, um, he, he sort of um, decides um, ahead of time upon which side um, he chooses to, to be and says that there is basically no Chinese version of Marxism. That's, um, and that this is a, a rejection of what is referred to as Mao Zedong thought. Um, and this is a, a kind of the, the clear throwing down of the gauntlet by uh, East Germany to the Chinese. The East German Stasi go on a, a an, an epic uh, information management mission, uh, hoovering up hundreds of thousands of copies of um, books of Mao Zedong thought. Um, the um, small um, Germano-Sino-film uh, collaboration uh, projects in which uh, films of uh, the uh, joyous, happy, revolutionary people's Chinese peasantry um, are shown in various uh, uh, German state cinemas. These are these are all sort of ra uh, sort of uh, rounded up and burned. Um, various articles, travel guides from the uh, from China, um, and other other kinds of books um, are got rid of, and. In effort, the the ring road, uh, the the Mao Zedong ring, is renamed after the astronaut Yuri Gagarin, cosmonaut of Um And so the the Chinese uh, actually turn around and say to the um, uh, East Germans, you know, this is kind of the sort of censorship you would see in the capitalist world. You know, this is this is wrong, and you know, you you're really kind of. The, the bully Moscow's uh, bullying uh, kind of uh, lapdog. Um, there is a, another factor really about the East German experience in that um, East Germany is one of the communist countries that has obviously a capitalist neighbour in, um, in uh, West Germany. And it has a, a long-term sense of kind of secure, insecurity paranoia and siege um, about uh, West Germany. The official narrative is really that West Germany is really still kind of Nazi. Um, you know, it is, uh, if you look at a communist interpretation of what Nazism is, Nazism is simply really capitalism's attack dog. And now the, um, pre the sort of the, the uh, pretense of um, Nazism has been dropped and, and Capitalism runs riot over the border, and it will at some point rearm itself and attack. Um, and this is the, the kind of the, the anxiety that is written really into the DNA of the East German state. And so uh, there is a, um, a sense that there are um, enemies to the West, but also that the communist world now is not the kind of the united happy fraternal place it once was. There are challenges within the communist world too. Um, and East Germany is, you know, perhaps not the, uh, geographically, the vastest, the largest um, of communist states. But it, it, it is such a focus for Cold War tensions, such a focus for Soviet ambitions, 
particularly in the first part of the Cold War, but it really is quite uh, a core, uh, an essential part of the communist world, um, and a, a key uh, site, really, of uh, this, this particular drama. Some of the more eager participants in the um, Sino-Soviet split, particularly in East Germany, uh, weren't East Germans themselves, but students from what would be described now as the Global South, students from Africa, from South America, uh, and from parts of Asia. You find um, across Eastern Europe various capitals host to um, communist students from places like Cuba and Angola, even even countries where there is no communist government, but um, there are um, members of trade unions or communist parties or students with uh, communist views um, are able to study in places like um, East Germany, in Poland, in Hungary, and particularly in the Soviet Union. And the um, attitudes that are um, common amongst um, students can be seen uh, in the article um, that I mentioned um, are particularly exemplified by students from Cuba who um, in from the um, in the early 1960s um, is at the height of Cold War tensions and really ready to um, as Khrushchev is moving trying to move towards some kind of detente post-missile crisis you have um, Cuban students who believe that places like Cuba are the only countries left really with any fight in them. Um, and that the Americans, and there is plenty of evidence for this, are really the, the kind of the main expansionist power throwing over overthrowing democratically elected governments across South America. And that um, the these are students who are well aware that um, as detente um, exists, as the Soviets and the Americans are unwilling to fight one another, so proxy wars um, in South America, in Africa and in Asia become more and more likely. And indeed, throughout the 1960s and 70s, the Cold War is largely fought through proxy wars um, and with, you know, with immense and horrific bloodshed, as we know, uh, in most parts of the Third World. Mostly for the East German authorities, these students from Africa and Asia proved little more than a kind of a mild annoyance. You know, periodically have to go and take down their flags from student dormitories, but not much else other than that. I imagine there was a, an immense amount of unnecessary effort involved in following them around and recording largely inconsequential conversations. But the um, appeal of China doesn't really... Um, kind of percolate down to the bulk of East German society. And if anything, you know, traditionally sort of bigoted anti-Asian attitudes uh, come to the fore, the idea that there is some kind of yellow peril, um, really uh, any sort of um, uh, kind of uh, any, any sort of internationalist uh, solidarity is, is largely lost on the, the bulk of the, the population who instead um, say that, uh, well, you know, 
we've got more in common with the rest of non-communist Europe and frankly we, we might have, it might be an idea for Europeans in general uh, to forget these ideological differences and, and unite before uh, you know, the Asian horde uh, march over us. Uh, you know, and these are obviously kind of not new ideas at all. These are um, ideas that kind of echo not just throughout um, German uh, rhetoric in the 20th century, but there are um, a there's a kind of a it's a pan-European phenomenon. So I think it's um, uh, a really interesting article. I'll see if I can get away with and let's face it, um, large uh, large academic publishers don't like this kind of thing. I'll read the small print very carefully and see if I can get away with posting it on the Explaining History website. If not, I will put a URL under this video um, or audio if you're getting it on the podcast. Um, and it's, it's well, well worth um, a read. Um, if you are looking for a uh, grounding in the history of Soviet communism. My new free course is online. Again, there'll be uh, a link under this uh, podcast. Check it out. This is an introduction to uh, Stalin's Russia, and um, I'll be posting the next couple of short courses on Stalinism at some point in the near future. Anyway, I hope you find this useful, and I'll look forward to catching you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.